three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to No Offense. Thank you for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Our guest today is Rashad Turner. He was a founding member of a BLM chapter in St. Paul around 2015. He has since left the organization for a variety of reasons we're going to discuss today and has uh, since become the president and CEO of the Minnesota Parents Union. So Rashad, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. We're looking forward to this discussion. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, The first thing we kind of want to get into, Ray, you were saying it was kind of good to uh, cover the basics. Oh, yeah. Let's just like cover the basics. So what is what is the BLM movement to someone who actually I mean, mainly to cover people who like might have the wrong idea of what it is or what is it supposed to be? And then I guess maybe we can go into what you found out. Yeah. What you found. All right. right. So, man, the uh, the BLM days. Right. I'll I'll say it like this. at the time that I started up BLM in St. Paul, I was working at a college up here, coordinating a scholars program. And I had had an opportunity to uh, connect with one of my homies up here, Nakima Levy Armstrong, uh, while I was doing some Black History Month programming out at the college. And, you know, from talking with her, uh, we actually went down to Selma, Alabama for the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Uh, and just being down there, man, I kind of I got fired up. I was doing stuff in the community, um, but I just felt like I could do more. And Nakima was very encouraging on getting the chapter started up in St. Paul. Uh, so basically, you know, I got back to Minnesota from Alabama and a couple of weeks later left that job at the college. And at the, I was actually also getting my master's degree uh, in educational leadership. So had a couple of things going on and was like, hey, I'm gonna hit these streets. And, you know, going into it, it, it's easy to sort of think like, hey, um, you wanna help people. You see all of this shit on TV. Can can we swear? Yeah, 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 you're good. Uh, (laughs) uh, You see all of this shit on TV uh, and and you think there's a lot of good stuff happening. And I had this feeling, like I said, I wanted to do more. I actually have my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So even going back further to like the the impetus for wanting to be a part of that movement, wanting to start something up here, I actually went to school to be a cop, all right? So I went through the training up here after I finished my bachelor's degree. Um, We've got this state academy they call skills up here. So I actually completed that training, uh, was close to being a police officer here in a suburb of Minneapolis. And during that time, you know, when you go through this cop training, y'all, it's like they they beat this shit into your head, man. And you you sort of take on this persona, this personality of this authority figure. Mm. And to be honest with y'all, it was like, I I saw myself um, changing a lot. You know, one of the things they teach you in the academy is like, if someone's talking at this level, you got to be up here. You got to have this command presence. Um, and that was really kind of taking over me, man. So I, I got out of that academy life, um, got into education. And then you can fast forward to wanting to be a part of this movement to hold police accountable. Right. So I launched that chapter uh, in St. Paul. And one of the things I always like to point out, man, is like there's a national Black Lives Matter, uh, which I think is bullshit. Uh, but on the local level, which is what we were doing in St. Paul, you know, there, there's some organizations at that local level, small groups, right? Not even official organizations, but just people getting together, getting organized, going to push the system. 
Um, but th- there's folks that, and I lost my train of thought there for a second, but I'll come <laughs> back to that. Um, so, you know, we got, we got that chapter started up in St. Paul. Yeah. And basically, my point that I was making about the national level, there were things at the national level uh, that I felt were very deceptive uh, once I actually launched this local chapter. And I had a lot of my homies in my neighborhood. Like, I, I still live in the hood, what, what some people would call the hood. Uh, so I'm right in the thick of everything that's happening. If you're reading shit about Minneapolis or St. Paul, crime, whatever the hell it is, I'm, I'm probably right in the thick of it. And in my neighborhood, when I first started that chapter, there were a lot of my friends who were like, hey, Rashad, you're cool. Uh, but that BLM stuff, man, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. And I didn't really take the time um, in those moments to like ask him, like, what are y'all talking about? Right? What do you mean you don't know? Right. Um, but I can share with y'all, like we were doing the work in St. Paul, really got the shit going, man. So when you see um, the disruptions that happen around the country, a lot of folks would say like, hey, right here in Minnesota uh, is where we sort of shifted things. Right. It's easy to kind of talk about these things, go talk to the powers that be. And a lot of times they don't listen. So you got to disrupt shit. So when we started that St. Paul chapter, we just got right after it. Right. We we had shut down the state fair, kind of disrupted that a little bit, highlighting some things. And I'm an education person. Right. I know the importance of education. That's one thing my grandmother would always just sort of instill in us when we were youngsters. You got to get your education. It's the only way you're going to have a chance. And during my time with BLM St. Paul, I would always send the message of like, hey, if Black Lives Matter, uh, we definitely have to start with this education system, right? We have to start with the black kids in school uh, who in Minnesota, you know, we're talking 80 to 90% of black kids can't read, right? So in my mind, it's like, hey, if we know what's happening in education, yeah, we can focus on the police and we also need to focus on the education system. I got a lot of pushback every time I would mention education. Really? And there was a time where um, I got called in for this meeting, a little sit down. And there were, um, and I don't wanna mess up their pronouns, right? (laughs) So I'll just say there were about 10 people 10 human beings sitting around the table. I come into this room and basically the message was, hey, at the national level, Black Lives Matter, we are focusing on transgender people and the things that are happening to them. Stop talking about these things. At that moment um, was when I realized and kind of started to think a little bit more about some of the comments I had heard from my friends in the neighborhood. So we're sitting around this table and they're kind of throwing all sorts of stuff at me and I'm looking at them and I just asked them, I said, well, if that's the agenda, which I don't have a problem with, but if that's the agenda, why are you capitalizing off of the deaths of black males? Whole room kind of went silent few minutes later, I got up and got out of there. Uh, and I think that was the point for me that I kind of pause 
But that was a point for me where I knew like, hey, uh, regardless of what my thoughts were, how genuine I was being, my intentions, there was some other shit going on. And, you know, I needed to figure that out. How does the organization look at like a national level? Like when you say that they brought you in for a sit down, how is it organized in that way? Does that make sense? Is it, is it like a like a, a charity foundation in its essence or, or you know? And I, I think um, I'm not even sure if, if the actual organization exists anymore. Folks might have heard about some uh, yeah. financial stuff that was going on with like yeah. buying big ass houses out in Cali, mm-hmm. things like that. I don't got the articles in front of me, but people can look that stuff up. So I'm not sure if they even exist anymore. Uh, as an organization, but I believe at the national level, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and folks hear that word nonprofit and they think like, oh, well, this is, you know, just about poor people, right? There's no profit in it. Like, no, nah, the, the nonprofit part is a tax thing that helps the wealthy folks, right? They're, they're profiting on their taxes as soon as they give that money. But I think at the national level, they were 501c3, uh, and basically what they wanted to do, and, and this is like, this is life, this is society, this is business. So like what they wanted to do was identify puppets in every state and every city that they could that would push their agenda without asking any questions, mm-hmm. right? So I believe at the time uh, they had an official Minneapolis chapter. Uh, and, you know, in St. Paul, we weren't official. So I basically got sat down by folks from the Minneapolis chapter. Um, and, you know, they basically told me, like, you know, shut up, get in line and do what we tell you to do. So my opinion is that, you know, whether it's BLM or other organizations out there that are on bullshit, they want to organize folks who are just going to go along to get along. And when you think about, like, the money behind Black Lives Matter... Um, it, it's it's a crazy amount of money, right? But you sort of juxtapose that with um, the lack of progress, right? The lack of change, like millions, maybe billions of dollars into the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, zero progress, if you will. Very little change happening. And that was something else that stood out to me, right? It's like, hey, um, there were a lot of folks, a part of that official stuff that would show up to a protest. But when it came time to meeting with the mayor, right, meeting with the police chiefs, these folks were nowhere to be found. Right. So I hope that kind of speaks to the organization of it, uh, even though they always tried to have this message of, you know, it's a decentralized approach, yada, yada, yada. I'm sure folks could go back and find articles where they were just sort of throwing us in St. Paul under the bus. Oh, they're, they're not a part of the national shit. <laughs> Stepping back a little bit, because the message that is kind of, you know, provoked on the news, right, is that if that everyone in this, in the country that, you know, is behind the Black Lives Matter movement or, like, you know, the black community in general is all in agreement that Black Lives Matter was like, you know, this thing that was good for it. But you were saying before that your friends and people in the community were saying that they were already pretty, like, judgmental about it like what what do you mean so people in the, that were in your friend group or community already knew that it was kind of not what it was supposed to be yeah yeah i mean i, I got friends that uh, you know they're paying attention right they're they're not 
getting lost in the sauce, right? And you could even say like, hey, at that time, I was a little lost in the sauce uh, because, you know, in our community, in the black community, uh, you know, the black church is a very strong presence uh, in our community, right? And some of the things they were saying around, you know, sort of the co-optation, right, of, you know, black men dying, but their agenda really being about the LGBTQ community, uh, folks had a problem with that. Now, I don't personally uh, have any problem with LGBTQ people. They're just separate issues, right? Huh? So they're just separate issues, right? So it's like, right, right. Separate issues, you know? So the biggest problem for me was just like, hey, uh, you, you can't do that. Right. Like that's not the right thing to do uh, because, you know, again, I, I go back to the money. Right. And money is, you know, the through line for a lot of this stuff, man. But it's like when you think about all of the money they were able to raise every time a black man was killed. Uh, but then to know the behind the scenes agenda isn't necessarily about that black man. Uh, I just had a big problem with that. Yeah, it's like being like, a, a martyr for the wrong thing, like or like, you, you, like you said, you're capitalizing on it and using it for something that's that's not helping that problem. Right. right. The problem. It, yeah, that's crazy. It's kind of just misleading off of just the jump because like the whole the name that, of the yeah. organization is yeah. Black Lives Matter, and not to say that you know, you know that other lives don't matter or LGBTQ, but it's like yeah. the, this thing is supposed to be based off of you know Black Community. Lives Matter, based off that movement of helping you know black people in the community but well especially the whole movement like you said was about black predominantly black men dying you know the hands of cops and all those things and then yeah it's not about that from what it sounds like that's and i'm surprised you're getting pushback about education too when you would bring that up that's fascinating too because it's a root cause you know if you were saying it's a root cause like you would think that they would want to help that immediately if you've identified that right right i mean because i always say like when you think about what happens with the police, I, I, I would equate that or say like that the, the root of that is lack of a quality education, right? Mm-hmm. And every time, you know, I, I would do, uh, you know, interviews or something and I would sort of shift the talking points, if you will, to something around education. So, I mean, like the facts are, you know, if you don't have an education, well, there's gonna be a greater chance of you being out in the streets greater chance for you to even have interactions with law enforcement. So it's like, if we're really saying Black Lives Matter, well, we gotta be looking at all of these areas. And here's the the thing for me, right? There's plenty of black people out here. There's plenty of issues to focus on. My problem was with like, hey, don't tell me to be quiet as I'm talking about education. Again, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a town, in a community, the metro area where 80 to 90 percent of black children can't read right and i can qualify that and say hey they can't read at grade level but i'll break it down even further to say hey 50 to 60 percent of black kids don't even read at a basic level here in the twin cities right so if you're illiterate it's gonna be tough man yeah does that and then so that's the movement you're working on now does it does that like what do you, does that kind of Segue into like the after school programs as well and that kind of thing and keeping keeping people in a in a safe space, that sort of topic too. I mean it's more so like 
the work I'm doing right now with Minnesota Parent Union is really about getting parents off of their ass, getting them involved in what's going on in the schools. Uh, because again, right, the data show like, hey, it's it's jacked up here, right? So it's really about getting parents involved and at the same time, you know, thinking about that advocacy piece. Uh, you know, the one thing from that BLM time, you know, the one thing that I realized is like, hey, a disruption, especially here in Minnesota, disruption is the way to go, right? Some people might not agree with that, but that's what we sort of brought into this education space, this education advocacy space is to say, hey, we've got to disrupt the status quo. We've got to create systems change. And that starts with, you know, parents are the first teachers, yeah. right? So it starts with parents knowing what's going on, not being tricked like the BLM stuff, but like knowing what's going on, being a part of it. And we're working on major things, right? So it's like that advocacy piece, but it's like, let's start with the root cause. Do you right? think that, um, you know, why do you think one of the, what do you think the biggest reason behind um, the need to talk to all these parents is so prominent? Do they not have the education themselves to like provide that? Like, is that kind of where it starts? Like how come that's the centerpiece of it all? Man, um, right, right along those lines, right? It's like when you think about the K-12 system, right? And I think about the parents that we work with here, partner with here in Minnesota, it's like, a lot of the parents, uh, and I'll say one other thing, right? Like in the work that I do, the work that I lead, I I'm not cherry picking, right? So I'm going right down to the corner store, to the liquor store, engaging with folks that I know are in my community and need to be a part of what's going on, right? But it's like parents being the first teachers of their kids, parents being that president, if you will, of their kids, it's like, they have to be leading the way, right? And say say what you said again one more time, because you, you said something there, Don, that it, it was right on point. Basically not having the education themselves to right, promote that to their future. So when you look at our K-12 system up here, it's like the parents were engaging. They also received a low-quality education. They, they also were a part of these disparities that we're discussing today because our education system has been piss poor for probably the past 30, 40 years. So if you've made it through like I did or some of my friends did, like we got lucky, right? But it's like, when you think about a 40 year old who can't read, right? And some folks might say, oh, well, people can read, that's bullshit, whatever, whatever. One of the things we hear the most, when I go out in the community with my team, we're passing out flyers, right? And it's interesting to think about this. Like we're passing out flyers with information on there. One of the things we hear the most is like, when we're telling them, yeah, man, the, the reading proficiency rates are just horrible. One of the things we hear the most is, well, yeah, man, I, I know that's true. Cause I still can't read. See, I find right? that crazy. Cause like oh, in, in like a first world country of the United States, you would think that like, a simple thing in, in, in broad terms, a simple thing such as reading for some people, obviously, is like that's like a staple of like a well run 
first world country, to, but to hear that there, we still have issues. Well, and it's an issue in every, like that. in every major city too. I mean, is it an every issue? City. Is it an issue of funding? Is it an issue of like role models, culture? Like, what do you think it stems from? Is it an issue of like, you know, people having lack of education, so they're not asking the right questions to help change the education system? Or is it that they're just not inter- uh, interested in it? Or is it the money? Like, where does it? I mean, so like, I'll start with the parents, right? I I think there is a, there's this idea that the schools are the experts, right? So a lot of parents are fine with, hey, um, I'm sending my child to school. They're going to be educated because these people are experts, right? So that's sort of like the first thing we get wrong as parents, trusting too much into the schools, right? But there's this big... You know, in, in that uh, advocating for police accountability, that that was um, always hectic, right? But I'll tell you, like the biggest monsters in this country when it comes to domestic issues like education are the teachers unions, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that the teachers unions will put out there is that our schools don't have enough money, right? And if folks go look at data, not that everybody's just a data nerd, but it's like, if you go look at data uh, down in Mississippi, let's say, right? And everybody has their thoughts about Mississippi when we're thinking about, you know, the social context of the United States of America. In Mississippi, there are more black children reading at grade level or above than there are here in Minnesota. Right. So just think of like whatever your thoughts are, whatever pops into my mind when I think of Mississippi <laughs> and whatever pops into your mind, we think about Minnesota. Right. But there's more kids down there reading at grade level. And guess what? They're spending half of the money that we're spending here in some of our local districts. Right. So we're saying like we're hearing this message and, you know, in, in this in our society, I feel like there's a few groups of people, right? There, there's the wealthy folks. There's the folks that are ignorant as fuck that the wealthy folks profit off of. And then there's those folks that are are searching for the answers, right? They, they see something that's kind of off and they're searching for the answers, right? Because we sort of have these factions, if you will, it's easy for teachers unions to control all of the messages that we're hearing through our local media, right? And I'm not gonna get into the, you know, fake news this, fake news that, but it's like the teachers unions here in Minnesota, and this is pretty much in every major city around the country, most of them, they control our education system. So they'll say it's funding, they'll say it's class sizes, and I'll say, that's bullshit. There's schools, Mississippi, Texas, I can name a number of them. Districts in those states spending seven to 10,000 per student. And we have districts here in Minnesota, specifically St. Paul Public Schools and Minneapolis Public Schools. How much y'all think they're spending per student on average? I'm assuming 20 then, right? 14, 20? Close, 25,000. Wow. 25,000 per student. And if we're just honing in on black children, 80 to 90% not getting an education. Wow. So what do you think that is? Do you think it's a leadership issue on the on the, on the education level or at the union level or misallocation of funds? Like what do we? 
I mean, I'll, I'll say like the teachers union are the main driver, right? They, they block every attempt at change, at reform, every opportunity they get, right? We had an effort here a couple years ago, a few years ago now, to make education, quality education, a right for our children. We had a lot of support. We were up and down the state. Parents were loving it. You know who didn't want our children to have a right to a quality education? Teachers unions, right? So I would say like, if we're looking at the school, yes, the school is the unit of change, right? Like that's where the action happens, right? That's where you're baking this information. Kids should be learning. So the school is a unit of change. You need a good school leader or principal. You need effective teachers who know how to teach, right? Because that's another thing. And this is like mind blowing for folks, but I've been saying this for years. It's like every teacher inside of a building is not a rocket scientist, right? You got some good ones. Every teacher inside of a school building here in Minnesota, damn near every single one of them, just until recently, did not know how to teach kids how to read. What the? I'll say that again, right? Every teacher here in Minnesota, they don't even learn how to teach kids how to read. What? Right? So when we're looking at like, hey, uh, 80 to 90% of black kids can't read at grade level, 50 to 60% of them can't read at a basic level, that, that goes to ineffective teachers, right? But let's say you have ineffective teachers in your school building. You guys might think, hey, well, just fire them. Get rid of them. Oh, well, who comes knocking at the door to keep that from happening, right? Folks could look up like the teacher disciplinary actions probably in every state. But here in Minnesota, we can look this up and we can see like this teacher slapped a kid in the back of the head. And this is just hypothetical, but there are instances, incidents like this. Teacher slapped a kid in the back of the head at their locker. Teacher was trying to be fired, right? This, the principal wanted to fire the teacher, let them go. The union is defending these teachers in court to keep them in the school buildings with our children, right? So I would say like, yeah, you, you need a good curriculum in there. You need effective teachers in there. But when things are going wrong and you have a bunch of ineffective teachers, well, you need to get rid of them. But then you've got, you know, this, I always try to look up definitions before I throw words out there. So I'll, I'll keep that in there. But you've got this just, this mob, if you will, right? This mob of white women who think that they know what's best for everybody. They don't know what's best for themselves, let alone what's best for black kids, right? But it's like they control everything that's happening in education. So... You know, we've got a couple of unions here and we can get into this more later or whatever. But it's like we've got two unions here in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis Federation of Teachers, they went on strike. Right before COVID hit, St. Paul Public Schools Teachers Union was going on strike. Right. So these people are saying, hey, we don't give a fuck about your kid. And how do we how do we know that? How do you know we don't give a fuck? because you can look at this data, right? And you can look at it from way before COVID, through COVID, after COVID, it all shows they don't care, right? But they want more money. 
<laughs> they, they think that they deserve more money. Now our districts have been losing kids because the schools are full of a bunch of ineffective teachers and the parents who have the wherewithal or the know-how, they're going and finding better schools. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a public district school or public charter school or private school, they're going and finding those, which means that enrollment's dropping mm -hmm. because of how bad the schools are. And you got this, you know, teachers union saying, hey, give us more money or we're going on strike, right? And even if we go back to the BLM stuff, guys, it's like the misleading part. Yeah. Okay. The, the misleading that happens through our media. I mean, we've got media people up here, you know, I don't want to try to talk to her, but it's like, man, we've got this journalist uh, for Minnesota Public Radio, Elizabeth Shockman. If you listen to her reports on education, they're, they're pretty stale and they're pretty one-sided. And I always have to tell her like, hey, you, you don't work for the teachers union, do you? <laughs> but it's like the misleading that happens when they're like, hey, um, you know, we're not educating these kids because the class sizes are too big. We need smaller class sizes. Well, that sounds good, but the research shows it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if you can mislead people to think, hey, we deserve more money, yeah. but you're using we want to keep students safe. We want to have smaller class sizes, things that make people's mind go to our children. Well, it's easy for them to, you know, sort of have this cartel that's running our education system. Question for you then, speaking on the education part and, you know, certain schools lacking, you know, good education. Do you believe in a freedom to be able to pick a school? Because, I've, you know, you've heard politicians talk about that some, that we should move to the system where, children or parents are able to pick the district they want to go in. And that would almost bring like more of like a, like a business type thing. Like if you, if you have competition, schools are going to level up their education system to be able to get these kids in. Do you believe in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, we, we have to, um, whether we're talking about our children, whether we're talking about us grownups, it's like, we have to have intellectual freedom. Right. And I would even like, push the school choice folks beyond just like, hey, we want to be able to pick the school, right? There's a lot of families that homeschool, right? And there's a shit ton more families that don't have the resources to homeschool or don't have the resources to go to private school. So I, I wholeheartedly believe like as a parent and, you know, I've got a 16 year old daughter, right? Our daughter has been in all types, different types of schools. And she's been at quality places. That's all we're looking for, right? But it's like when we think about having that intellectual freedom, like what that truly looks like, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons we're working on. So one of the things we're working on, right? And just thinking about resources. There are things in place right now that allow families to pick a school, right? But then transportation kicks in. So it's like, you'll hear a lot of Democrats who are owned by the teachers unions talking about, well, families already have school choice. They can go wherever they want, which is true, but again, misleading. Because let's say I'm a family here in St. Paul and I wanna go out to a suburb that's 25 minutes away. Well, I can make that choice if I can get my kid there every day, right? So it's sort of a, a false choice, if you will, like if you're here in the hood in St. Paul 
and you want to get somewhere else, like it's there, but it's not right. Mm -hmm. So what parents need to actualize, like see that school choice in the real way, be able to tap into the, I mean, I heard this professor one time, right? He was talking about, he was like a microeconomics professor. I was on this Zoom or something. He was talking about intellectual freedom, right? And just sort of like what that looks like. And when I think about that, it goes beyond the school building, right? So like for me to keep it all the way real, it's like, hey, when, when we hear stuff from certain politicians around school choice, well, there's some other shit baked into it, right? So you have to pay attention to that too and kind of peel that onion back. But I wholeheartedly believe parents should be able to choose. I also believe that if our state, like here in Minnesota, we've had a lot of public dollars, a lot of our taxpayer dollars go into private football stadiums, right? Privately owned soccer stadiums, right? So I also believe like, hey, in order for parents to be able to choose, we as a state should be saying, hey, Here's a grant for you, parent. If, if you want to homeschool, that's fine. If you want to go to a private school, that's fine. If you want to pick a different district, that's fine. Because what education should be about is giving our kids the opportunity to thrive in life, to be able to learn how to think critically, to be able to read, right? So it shouldn't be about this school versus that school, but that's the politics of education, right? I mean, education is probably like, one of the most politicized things, man. And it's ridiculous because we think it shouldn't be that way, but it is. We're, we're throwing the word like parents around a lot. And I think, I think from what we're told, I don't I mean, I, I assume it's true, but from what we're told is a lot of times it's like a single parent household. And so, you know, that, that single woman might be super busy and not able to, to do these things you're talking about too. So where where does like that start when it's just at the home and you know not a positive role model or someone to split these tasks with and that kind of thing oh yeah i mean there are um you know my grandmother raised me uh, and my brother as a single parent right and you know she had some jobs with the irs with osha all of these jobs that kind of kept her nine to five occupied right? mm -hmm. So my grandma wasn't coming to uh, Taco Tuesdays at the school. She wasn't coming to Soul Food Sundays, but she was coming to conferences, right? Because she understood her power, right? So I would say like, yeah, there are a lot of single parents that are busy, got things going on. Uh, and instead of schools or community organizations uh, taking the time, making the time to go to where these parents are at and engage with them, they sort of throw out things like, oh, they're too busy. Uh, but it's like, if we think about it, like if parents are watching, like, think about this as a parent, right? And I was just hearing a story like this the other day where it's like, a lot of parents, whether they're single parents or not, a lot of parents only hear from schools when things are going wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. So schools have the time to, you know, hit me up. I remember a time back in the day when my daughter was little, man, I got a call from the school saying, your daughter put some carrots under the lunch table and, you know, tricked another kid into eating them. And I said, okay, 
And it's just like, what are you calling about? <laughs> yeah. Right. Thanks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what are you calling for? So it's like a lot of times, you know, schools are calling to report the bad things. They're not calling to try to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are some schools that do this well. Yeah. And when you look at their data, you'll see that kids are reading. Parents are engaged. They're involved because that's the environment. That's the climate that's been created at that school in that school community. So it's just, you know, I, I won't say, I mean, obviously it's true, right? There's a ton of single parents out there, uh, but I don't necessarily like, you know, if you go to a restaurant, right? You go to like McDonald's, uh, you're like, yeah, let me get a number one. And obviously I eat a lot of McDonald's and I shouldn't, but <laughs> let me get a number one, which is the Big Mac combo. Uh, and let me get no special sauce on there, right? You go through the line or, you know, it's your turn, you get your food and there's a bunch of special sauce on there, right? I'm not gonna like tell myself, oh man, this is your fault, Rashad. Did all of this special, like, but that's what happens in our education system, man. It's like parents go to a school, they put their kids there, um, the kid's not being educated. And then we hear things like, Oh, the parents are too busy. That's why we're not able to teach their kid how to read, right? And they use different words, different misleading narratives. But it's like that part to me uh, is the most shocking. And it's like for us as an organization, uh, for me as a human being, it's a two-way street, right? So it's like we know, yeah, there are parents who are disengaged, So right? <clears throat> and that's where it's up to us. It's on us as community folks or community organizations getting all of these dollars to be there to engage with that disengaged parent to at least hear their voice and then go push for those changes. And at, at what but, point do you kind of disregard the disengaged parent and then just step in and be a, a real present human for the kid that, that you know, it's, it's not at fault because their parents disengaged? Right, right. For me, um, I'm going to want to say it quickly. Um, but we don't spend time um, trying, we don't, we're not pulling teeth out here, right? So it's like, we'll put in a little bit of time, but it's like, hey, if they're just not engaging, you're right, it's about the kid. So it's like, we're gonna push for those changes uh, that we know are research-based changes, evidence-based changes that are gonna work. We're gonna push for them. But what happens though, y'all, is like, you, you get these folks, and again, uh, to me, this is tied to the teachers union, right? Here in Minnesota, we can just say in Minneapolis and St. Paul, you all have heard of like Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Well, we've got like 100,000 nonprofits and probably 50,000 of those say they're focused on improving life for the black community. But when we think about like, well, how do we improve life? Well, kids have to be reading so everybody can like be better off. There's a lot of gatekeepers, right? And that's the point that I'm getting to is like, there are folks um, that benefit from how things are, right? Imagine if you're a teacher and they say, you know, teachers don't make that much money, but I'll put it out here. In St. Paul and Minneapolis, we have the highest paid teachers on average about 70, 80,000 
A lot of them are above that if they've been in the district for more than seven years. Okay. But imagine as a teacher, you're getting paid 90,000 a year. Um, and it's not based on your performance, right? Eventually you could say like, Hey, you're being incentivized to not do your job. Right. And it's like those incentives carry over into the community, right? We've got local organizations that will tell you guys, everything's just fine in education. We just need more money, right? So it's like when we kind of like break down the ecosystem, right? There's a lot of gatekeepers that are a part of this kind of K-12 cartel that want to keep things exactly how they are, right? So it's like, if I'm making 90,000, I can just come show up, not do shit. My check is the same. What's what's the what's the reason to change, right? What's their impetus to change? And I'll say like, not every teacher sucks, yeah. but I guarantee you, you go into a school building and you talk to the most effective teacher in there, right? Better yet, just talk to the students. Which teachers in here suck? You, you'll hear which ones suck. Then you can go to the teachers and ask them but no one does anything about it because they're held hostage by this teacher's union. You know, if you, if you go against these guys, I mean, doing that BLM stuff, that was one thing, man. Like you have crazy motherfuckers sending you emails, a lot of bullshit happening because people are ignorant or whatever. But with this education shit, man, it's like me saying anything about the teacher's union. Oh, I'm enemy number one. Right. Damn. So I understand like <laughs> the sacrifice that it takes, right, that I have to make uh, in order to do what I'm doing. But it's worth it. But to a lot of people, uh, there, there's a line that they're not going to cross because, you know, number of things that they'll say, oh, I have bills to pay this, that and the other. Right. So it's like you got to have some guts to do this work, man, because they're going to try to like tear you down. And I think like that's another part of, you know, when people see me get my ass tore up every day online and I don't even see half of the shit like they'll say to me, oh, man, I, 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 don't, I don't want people. I don't want to I don't want to go through that. Right. So it's like you got to keep fighting, man. But I understand like there's a lot of forces, a lot of money uh, that's involved. And, and if we get our jobs done, we fuck up a lot of people's paychecks. So like, so the idea here is that you, you're trying to create a system that can allow for better lives for, for, for black people in general, like, or, or in uh, like underserved, you know, neighborhoods, that kind of thing. And to do that, you're kind of trying to start with the smallest problem you can, which is reading, right? And so right. if you solve that, the hypothesis that that would create, well, it would be the first step towards creating a better thing. It's not, it's not that you're really saying that this is gonna solve everything, but it's like, this could no. be a really easy first step, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, and that's the thing, right? That there's so many issues in education. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, we got to start with the basics, man. Yeah. Like, if you can't read, you can't get a job. So you're saying you if can't we get solve a job, you, you ain't got no money to spend. I mean, your mind's thinking about different shit then, right? Like, yeah. The, the thing that, like, uh, it's like makes the hierarchy me so of passionate. Needs. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. What were you saying? I said it's like the hierarchy of needs. Like if you're too busy thinking right. about like food and water, you're not thinking about like be becoming your best self. Mm 
providers right. of the community. Yeah. All right. And it's like the thing that's like different for me, man, is like I grew up in the thick of shit, man. Like I didn't have the best childhood. So like when I'm talking to families and I'm hearing what's going on, it's like, yeah, I can relate. You know what I mean? And it's like I also can show them, hey, th this is how I navigated these things, man. But it's like so it sounds like you had a really good sounds like you were lucky to have a really good role model in your life, your grandma, who helped you through those things. Sure. And so how do you how do you translate to, to that to kids that don't have a good role model? And, and how does that look for them? I mean, every opportunity, you know, when they don't have a good role model, it's up to all of us, man, to be good role models, you know, and it's yeah. like my grandmother uh, still my rock to this day. You know what I mean? But she got involved, man. And it's like when I was a youngster and would see her like talk to the teachers and come in and make sure everything was good. It was like, you know, to your point about kids not having role models, right? Or parents that aren't necessarily involved in the ways that they should be in the schools. You know, my grandmother was that advocate or that parent for pretty much all of my classmates. You know what I mean? So it's like, I've seen the power of having at least one strong advocate, man, that, that's got your back. That's not, you know, making excuses for you, but actually like saying, hey, here's some high expectations, right? Here, here's where I think you can go, your potential, right? And I would say like, when we look at our schools, there's a huge belief gap in what some of the teachers think their students are capable of, right? And it's like, that's probably the, the biggest thing that my grandma would always just pump into us is like, she believed in us, right? And that led to, you know, building that confidence over the years. If you don't have that, yeah, it's gonna be a little bit tougher. But at the same time, imagine, right? If, if we're just honing in on public schools, like if the public school is a quality school, has a quality environment, well, a lot of kids that are living, let's say they're unsheltered, they're homeless, right? School then becomes that haven for them, that safe place for them where we can instill all of these good values through <laughs> teaching them how to read, if you will. Right. Question for you. A um, little bit off the subject we're talking about, but since you said at the beginning, it kind of piqued my interest. You said you went through police training, right? And I know this is like a hot topic word. What was your opinion on the whole defund the police movement in general. And if you could maybe explain what your alternative would have been or if you believed in that. So I, um, I, I thought that that on its face was stupid, right? Like defund the police. Again, I, I live right in the thick of things. So it's just like, you know, if I'm hearing gunshots every night, uh, you know, I'm not responding to it. I don't see nobody else responding to it. So we, we better have somebody that we can call, right? And it's like, the thing about me and like police accountability, like I have uh, a bunch of friends that are police officers, men, women who are law enforcement officers, chiefs of police, patrol work, like, so it's not that I, you know, hate the police, right? And I think an alternative to defund the police, that there's 
accountability pieces that um, could be put in place, right? There are a bunch of different solutions, if you will. And even if you say there's only a few, right? But like accountability is a big thing. But when we think about the defund the police movement, I don't think that it was necessarily like get rid of the police everywhere. Now, I know in some places, um, and I just thought it was dumb, so I I'm, wasn't paying attention to it too much. But I think it's like, obviously, we need the police, right? How police interact in communities um, changes when police are from that community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we think about like, hey, let's try to get more police officers from the Black community in Black neighborhoods as police officers patrolling their community, well, that could be a solution. Right, that could lead to less of these negative interactions um, with the police or between police and black people. Right, one of the things that um, we were able to accomplish back when I was leading up BLM, um, and this is like it's very complex, so it's not as simple as just saying, you know, we got this or got that, but like there was a um, there was a guy who was murdered uh, up here in St. Paul, killed by the police. And it was sort of, it was a mental health situation, right? Now I was able to uh, view the video from this and I was able to see like, okay, based on the training, these things occurred, I get it, right? But one of the things we were able to get the St. Paul Police Department to implement were these sort of mental health responses, right? Or mental health social workers that would respond to some calls, right? Now I've been through the training, if I was to get out on the streets right now and patrol, I, I'd be fine. I'd feel very comfortable because, like I said, that training is thick, right? So it's like there are solutions. Um, you know, body cams were a solution, right? But if, like, if cops can turn those off and there's no consequence, well, that, that might not be the solution, right? But I think, like, the bigger issue is, like, if I look at my neighborhood um, and I think about because of all of the things that people see on TV, like you have one sort of side of folks that are saying, hey, the police suck. We got to get them out of there. You got another side of folks that are saying, hey, you know, we need to have better relationships with the police. Right. If I think about the narrative in the black community, it's not go be a police officer, mm-hmm. right? Just how I heard shit when I was starting up that BLM chapter, oh, please believe they, they were getting after me when I, when I was, you know, doing my internship with the police department and they seen me in the police car, right? Like they didn't think that was cool at all. So it's like, if we think about the things we can control, um, narrative is sort of one of those things, right? I don't hear or see efforts around, hey, let's get more black kids or more people of color or whatever into law enforcement, not at the community level, right? So it's like defund the police. It's like, hey, that's dumb. Um, But are there reforms around, you know, I've heard things around like making cops get their own insurance, um, you know, higher penalties or stricter consequences when cops turn their body cams off, right? But the thing is, is like, 
when you have laws in place, uh, here, here's a law here in Minnesota, and I think this is everywhere, when it comes to the justified use of force, right? And I think this is a big one because it comes down to like, who are the people that you have as police officers? But let's say, let's say Dom committed a felony. He robbed a bank. We got Dom on camera. He's committed this felony with a deadly weapon. The law states that whenever I see you, Dom, as a law enforcement officer, I can kill you. It doesn't say that I have to, I need to kill, like, I, I have the option by law to kill you because you just robbed a bank with a firearm. So let's say I catch Dom at, at McDonald's. He's chilling, eating his Big Mac, and I see him. Technically, you can be killed because of this crime you committed. Now, you're sitting there eating your Big Mac. If I'm a good police officer, hey, you were coming in there, put your hands up, cuffing you, taking you away. But if we've got people on the force who I would say used to be punks back in high school, used to get punked every day, they got a little chip on their shoulder, they might respond to that differently, right? So I truly think it's like, yeah, we can change laws. Um, we can get rid of this or get rid of that, but we truly just need people who care about the communities that they are law enforcement officers in. And we need a community that says, hey, we got to be able to sort of start policing ourselves. We got to hold ourselves accountable, right? Here in Minneapolis, we've, we got, we had, um, I might get the dates wrong, but like two years ago, two summers ago, we had three kids, children, murdered in Minneapolis. No one from the community has turned in the shooters. Oh. Mm. That there hasn't been uh, fucking uh, shit shut down, none of that type of shit, man. So it's like we have to raise the expectations in ourselves, in our community, and then that will lead us to the solutions. But you could change everything. You don't change yourself, then what? it ain't going to matter. Right? I, I find there's a huge gap between, you know, the police, you know, police officers in the community, right, like you were saying. So... Since, you know, this whole narrative is really who wants to be a police officer right now, right? Honestly, right. like they, they have to, if they are going to get better training, right? It's going to take a longer time. They need police officers now. They don't got time for that. So like who, right. this, the whole narrative of now is like really who wants to be a police officer? You need better training, but it's going to take longer. So, but they need, so how do you give them better training if there's less people come in? And the people that are probably coming in are probably the nut jabs who are like, who cares? Like it's, you know, police officer, being a police officer is a dangerous job at the end of the day. Yeah. Right, to, to right. speak well, on, especially right now when everyone hates you too. That's, so it's that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. Speaking on their end, cause you know, there's, you know, and the news can, you know, have their own narrative of stuff and kind of twist people's minds who aren't like diving into the deep end of what's actually going on. Right. So right. this whole thing of, you know, that, you know, they're a danger too. Right. So, you know, you walk up to the car, these guys don't know who you are. They don't know who you are. It's, they do this by countless times a day. Right. But to be able to have that education, you need to have people who want to do it. And like the narrative, it's so, it's such a back twisted thought of trying to get people to not want to be a police officer. It's like, that's like the opposite of what we're trying to do. We need more people who want to be we police officers. We need same, more options. It's the same topic as teachers almost. You need the best of the best to want to right. do that job, that want to care about it. If you have teachers that don't give a shit or cops that don't give a shit, you just perpetuate the problem. So it's like right. both of those 
both those groups need to be the best we got. Pretty and it much. blows my mind that there's so many misleading messages, like on yeah. both sides, from yeah. the, from the yeah, police yeah, yeah. officers to the community organizations to the teachers unions. It's like yeah. your right. your your actions are the antithesis well, of what like, you're talking you about. Need, you need people who want to do the job because they feel called to do the job, not just because it's like a job. And I like, got oh, fuck it, I'll just be a teacher. It's like yeah. it's gotta be those people that are like passionate about getting people to learn how to read, passionate about educating the youth and educating the next generation and the people who are passionate about protecting their community that they came from or that they're a part of that kind of thing. And here's the thing, right? Like, here's the thing. Y'all froze for a second there, but like, um, when I wanted to be a cop, like the reason y'all still there? Yeah, Yeah. we're here. We're here. All right. When I wanted to be a cop, the reason I wanted to be a cop, was because of my school resource officer, Officer Montgomery. I, I actually, we named our daughter after his first daughter. Oh, that's right? like cool. That's how much of a positive influence this dude had on me, right? I remember like every day being able to kind of check in with him. Hey, it was, he, he was passionate, he cared, right? Now we can all think about, I don't know if you had an SRO or not, school resource officer in your school, but even just think about the teachers. You all know like, hey, this teacher, they were great. I mean, I can remember my kindergarten teacher, little old lady, Mrs. Reinhardt, because she was great, she was passionate. I can remember my eighth grade math teacher, Mr. DeBruzzi, who was a jackass and didn't teach us anything, right? So it's like, you can look back at your own experience and sort of like, see these different things, identify these people. And it's like, yeah, we, we need people who care, right? And it's like, you know, you've mentioned those different groups, you know, whether it's police unions, teachers unions, community orgs, imagine we're going after all of them. So it's like, hey, it, it's tough, it, it's scary, but if we want to see any type of change, it's like, we gotta go after them. And it's like, right now, you know, we got some fights brewing with these teachers unions, man. So it's like, y'all might see some shit on the news soon where it's like, nah, these parents got tired of ineffective teachers failing to educate our children while at the same time demanding money. If you see people step up in a strong way, it's the only way we might see the needle move, man. <laughs> Dude, I was literally reading an article um, when we were kind of doing research about you. And there was one article when you... Um, they were talking about what you were doing with, with BLM and St. Paul. And it was like, he's fighting for what's right. He does not, he does not care if you are his friend. He does not care if you do not like him. <laughs> I was like, Man. I love that. Hey, I'm, I'm a friendless <laughs> motherfucker years later since that article. <laughs> now I got, I got a small circle, man, but it's like, you know, you, you don't, that's the thing, right? Like I, I just, um, something good that happened for me personally, man, I got selected to be in this, uh, Pahara Institute Fellowship, right? And, and before I got selected to be a part of that, and this one of like the top education advocacy uh, fellowships in the country, man. Yeah. So like, check that out. But Congrats. before I got picked to do that, I would always tell folks like, they're not picking me for any awards, for any fellowships, for none of that, because they don't want my big ass mouth a part of any of that good old boy stuff, man. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I, I don't care. I still don't care. Uh, if, if people want to be my friend, because like to me, like the folks that are out here trying to make friends, trying to be nice, uh, 
you know, the word nice actually originates from something close to dumb, but it's like people trying to benefit themselves are not what we need when we're thinking about changing the status quo. Uh, your mission is bigger than yourself. Systems, and you know? That's respectable. So. And, and that's the, I, I know um, it, the old way I used to think, right, how we're socialized to think, hey, we want to get the most money. We want this picket fence, big house. Like under that old silly way that I used to think, well, I'd be doing shit differently, right? I, I would just sort of make this into a show every day if it was about me. But I understand like, hey, uh, the media up here, they're not going to call me first, right? Uh, which is much different <laughs> from when I was talking about the police and the police unions, right? So think, just think about that, right? But like, we have to have people uh, that are willing to make the sacrifices, man, that are willing to not be invited to every gala that's happening, that are willing to sort of be that person that when you walk into the room, there's gonna be a lot of fake smiles, a lot of fake handshakes. Um, and you know, like, hey, it, it, you said this background was welcoming. These backgrounds aren't in the rooms I walk into, man. If they are, they cover them up and it becomes unwelcoming and it becomes uncomfortable. But for me, if I'm not doing it, well, who else is gonna do it, right? And, and I can debate education, police reform, whatever you want to talk about. Like I can debate those things with whoever thinks something different, uh, but I'm not going to be intimidated by teachers unions, uh, not by BLM organizations, not by folks who are focused on keeping shit the same, right? Or misleading, like that ain't me, man. I, I'll walk into a space by myself, right? And you know, I've got my uh, my conceal and carry permit if things go really bad, but it's like, fact is, there's a lot of people that have to talk, but they're not going to talk that same shit face to face, right? They're not going to talk that same shit where they're saying, hey, everything's fine. When you got somebody else in the room that's saying, nah, 80 to 90% of black kids can't read. What are you talking about? Right? So like, my mindset and focus is on getting shit done. And I know change is slow sometimes. Um, you got to be disruptive pretty much all the time. Um, but it's worth it, man. It's worth it, you know. Amazing. It's awesome. So what? where can everyone find, the, you know, your website and stuff that you're working on with the, with the what was it called, the Parent Union? Yeah, yeah Minnesota Parent Union. Um, you type in mnparentunion.org. Uh, I always say, like, Pay attention to Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Twitter's kind of wild these days, so I don't be on there that much. But I'm actually going on Twitter or X more because it's a little more X-rated now. So that's what I'm actually looking at on Twitter. But that was just a joke now. <laughs> but uh, Facebook, Twitter. Um, try to just do the social media thing, right? We just got some dollars to uh, got this show called The Dark Side of Education. And we just got some money to be able to sort of make that a little bit better production. So we'll get that launched here in March, middle of March, I believe. Um, so it's like, that's where you can catch me. Rashad Turner on Facebook, Rashad's Republic on Twitter. Um, my, my LinkedIn is popping too, right? I don't, I don't know if too many people mess with LinkedIn, but- Oh, we're on there. 
Love All LinkedIn. Right, yeah. Love LinkedIn. So it's like, yeah, there's there's something about that, man, where it's like, I sort of use that as a gauge for like who I'm connecting with more yeah. than my Facebook or Twitter, right? My Twitter is like a bunch of far right folks that are just like, yeah, get him Rashad, fuck those <laughs> right? But they're also like, don't read that book either <laughs> in school. So it's like, all right, fuck y'all too, right? <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, I, I think I try to like, not that again, not that I care about making friends, but I do care that like I'm able to get the information into these spaces that I might not have felt I could. Right at the beginning of this thing, I mean, it was hard to just have everybody coming at you, right? Uh, and now it's like I'm used to that, and I'm opening my eyes to the fact that, like, hey, there are a lot of folks who support what I'm doing, support the work we're doing at Minnesota Parent Union. They just might not have, you know, the guts, if you will, yeah. to uh, approach fighting for these solutions in the same way, man. So I appreciate everybody on social media. Uh, you know, the supporters, the haters, um, you know, it is what it is. No offense to anyone. <laughs> ah, I like that. <laughs> no, that's good. Okay. Yeah, I think what you're doing is super inspiring, and it's awesome to see people like you uh, kind of taking charge and, and supporting their community and trying to take it to a new direction because not a lot of people are willing to do that. So We're rooting for uh, you. Yeah, we're rooting, we're rooting for, for you. you. And yeah. Yeah, let's definitely appreciate stay in touch, job. and it's super exciting to see what you're doing. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and, and uh, your insights and everything. It's been great. Hey, I appreciate y'all, man, getting me up on a Saturday morning. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Maybe when I'm out there, I'll try to stop by and yeah. say hi to you guys. Man, yeah, you know, we'd love you know, to. Yeah, we're actually we're kind. Of, we've been talking about this new stuff where we kind of dive into more like documentary style podcasting yeah. stuff. You know, if ever you know, maybe we could set something. If we come up, you could show us community, show us like these For places because sure. we're we're kind of reaching. The, we're trying to think about these new type of videos we're gonna do, where it's more informational yeah, yeah. documentary style with yeah. a podcast included. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you just let me know, man. Any, we can come up there and like fuck the school up or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then, hey, then you guys can leave, so it'll be fine. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> but no, we're all it. Yeah, we're working on this documentary right now, man. Um, so I'm doing like a little directing, just trying to like be able to tell this story of what we're doing, man, and how fucked up things are here. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, y'all hit me up if you come up here. Yeah. Um, but you know, stay tuned, man. We gotta. I was just telling somebody like, hey, we, we gotta be more disruptive. Totally, right? sure. unions are doing their thing, and we gotta do our things. So gotta keep keep getting getting it in front of people's faces. Yeah. Hopefully, right. this reaches some ears and. Right. Yeah. Spreads the message. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey. It was a great conversation. Thank God, man. Again, we're rooting Have for you, and keep fighting. Yeah, keep hey, fighting, yes, sir. All right. Always. Later, man. Thank you guys for tuning in. See you next week. See ya. Bye. See ya.